All right, this morning, I, I, I want to kind of continue to push into the whole idea of the fact that God has made us for so much more. We've been looking at this for a little while now, and um, we just want to continue to push into that. But uh, um, one of the things that has been really fantastic to watch throughout the course of this year has, as we've been teaching into these three kind of main areas of, of identity and uh, belonging or family, your place in the body of Jesus, and the fact that God has got great purpose for you to be one who shares his glory with the world. As we've been pushing into that stuff this year, it's been amazing and really pleasing to watch that just, and, and I think I can say this without bragging, but the sense of... Um, ground and advance and maturity that's taking place in so many people in this place. It's wonderful to watch. And I just want to ascribe thanks and goodness and praise to God for what we see he do, him doing in your life. And it's just a privilege to watch it happening. 2014 has been an amazing year in some senses of being re-established in many areas of of people's lives and also for us as a church and so I want to reach in this morning a little bit more into the idea of a few things that Ken touched on in his recent visit with us Ken Fish and if you haven't heard Ken's messages you can hear them on SoundCloud or podcast the details are there in your newsletter of where to find that but one of the things that we asked Ken to speak into was this uh, word from Isaiah where he talked about how God was re-establishing his people in the earth for the display of his splendor. Now, I want to touch this issue called dis display. Display. Now, i got to say, we live in a culture and a time that is saturated saturated and obsessed with the projection of image. It is completely saturated with the projection of image. Our young people are fighting for air to be able to find freedom, to be able to actually be who God's made them to be without succumbing to the what I would call demonically fueled um, cultural expectations on them and who they should be or what they should look like. Uh, even, even, even in the way that uh, people might like to present their married life to the world. You know, there's great pressure on for it to somehow look successful when maybe uh, at times it's, it's just a, a lot of hard work. Or, you know, vocationally, where you're working in your workplace, there's a lot of uh, expectation and cultural pressure to make sure that you're displaying the right image because if you don't then you won't get the promotion you won't get the business you won't get the favor whatever you want to call it but there's a lot of pressure on this whole idea of what we look like or how we're coming off to others how we're being perceived by others lots and lots of pressure on that area right now i mean I, I hazard a guess that all of us, well, maybe not all of us, but probably a good chunk of us in this room right now have um, 
got themselves, uh, you know, their own Facebook page. And, and through that Facebook page, we tell the world that might be interested who we are. And we do that through pictures and words and so forth. And, um, and it's very interesting if you take time to actually look at um, what you are putting on display. And often, a lot of the time, what we put on display is a conscious choice to make sure that we don't put on display other areas of our life. And yet the scriptures tell us that God, in Isaiah 60, 21, we, we are the planting of his, we are the work of his planting for the display of his splendor. Uh, God actually wants to put us on display. He actually wants to, you know, you guys are to use the vernacular of um, the castle and, and the Kerrigans, you know, God wants you in the pool room. He, he wants to put you on top shelf in the pool room so that when anyone, anyone ever comes around, you can sort of point to, have a look at that. Isn't that awesome? Look what we've got. Look what we've done. Look what we've won. What, look what we've achieved. Well, actually, there's a sense in which God wants to do that with all of us. Because if we read the book and the story and the narrative of, 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 of the Bible... Right there at the beginning, God put something so glorious on display in his creation. So amazing and God-reflected and image-bearing of humanity. And then sin and the enemy of God ruined that. And so God is actually in the process of restoring what a healthy display of a life should look like. And he wants to do it through people just like us, just like you and me. Not, 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 not the ones who are saying through their projection of self that I've got it all together. No, he's wanting to say, I want to put everyone on display about what I can do with a person's life that just simply turns over their confidence to the love and grace that I extend to them as the remedy and the redemption for their life through Jesus. And he wants to put that on display. You know, this week, we, Nicole and I, we, um, we had the, the joy of seeing um, um, our daughters receive some awards at the end of the year, school year, you know. And, 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 and so Nicole takes a few photos of these awards and she puts it on her Facebook feed with, with the title saying, Warning, Parental Bragging. So that if you, you know, go any further, you know that she's bragging about her kids, our kids. And this is something of the nature of the heart of God. Pat, can you just bring my top level down just a bit? This is something reflective of the heart of God. He wants to take our lives, having met his goodness and grace in the person of Jesus, and he wants to say, hey, world, check that out. Isn't that an awesome piece of my redeeming love and power. God is really into putting on display. Now, for many of us, that will stir up all sorts of like, whoa. And that's because I think there's some stuff that's not on display that God needs to heal us and free us of so that we can be fully 
on display for the display of his splendor. Because we're living for the audience and the praise of, well, some would say one, some would say three, but three in one, you get the deal. Our Trinity, our God. You see, today we live in a very controlled display environment. Every signpost, every house, every piece of clothing, every bit of jewellery, every vehicle, every uh, vocational position has been warped with this idea of trying to display something. We no longer, uh, well, sorry, no longer do we really understand the power of what it means to walk in the reality of God's love and be on display. And that's because deep underneath all of that, the reason why we don't embrace, embrace his love for us as much as he embraces us is because there's shame in there. There's shame in there. And we have to confront the conversation that's going on inside that says, will they really love me if they really knew this about me? That's the wall. That's the wall that the enemy of God established when he robbed Adam and Eve of relationship with God in the garden. He established that wall. And prophetically speaking here, with a sense of thus says the Lord, of recent months, we've also been blessed here at the vineyard to see many new green shoots of life, new life breaking forth in people's hearts and relationships and circumstances. We are seeing God's hand of blessing and restoration and healing and hope and health in regards to so many areas. We're seeing this. And that's because God has clearly said, I've planted you, you're the work of my hands, and it's for the display of my splendor. We're seeing this, and we're grateful for it. Now, if you've got your Bible, I want you to quickly open it to 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 3. And in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul here is writing to this amazing church at Corinth who, man, these guys knew the power and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I mean, there was, there was every sign and wonder and miracle all taking place at Corinth, but they were also like really carnal people. Like, they were very base in their activities. Some of their character and behavior, and they'd come, to, they'd come to worship God and have communion together, but they'd do it, you know, and they'd get drunk. It's like, oh, they get tanked up like this. And so Paul's having to write to them and say, hey, guys, up. Now, it's interesting, though, that God would be so generous with his spirit with such a broken people. He didn't pour his spirit out on the holy but in fact, as he does pour his spirit out, holiness begins to break forth in people's lives. And that's what was going on here at the church at Corinth. And so anyway, Paul's uh, writing this uh, message to them. And in a, in a way, he's kind of also having a bit of a dig at people who are having a dig at him. <laughs> and he writes this in verse 3. If you've got chapter 3, and we're going to kick in at verse 7, he's writing about the beauty of the new covenant of relationship that we can have with God. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 
Verse 7 says, Now if the ministry that brought death, and he's referring to the law there, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, in other words, God was on it, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Holy Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glory, glorious has now no glory in comparison to the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts or is eternal? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. People, boldness is an earmark of someone who has experienced the love of God. Boldness, confidence, sureness of identity, assurance of well-being both now and into the age to come, no matter what the circumstances are. Boldness. That's why we go, as the writer of the Hebrews says, whenever we are in need, we go how before the Father's throne of grace? We go boldly because we have experienced love, true love that says, don't worry about the wall of will I be acceptable because true love breaks through that wall and says, come, come to me. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. So the backstory there, if you don't know the backstory, the backstory is Moses met with God in the Old Testament, in the Exodus account. And as he met with God, he would get like this glow. Literally, he would start glowing from the presence of God on him. And he would come out from engaging with God and the people were overcome by it. They were like, Mo, do something, man. That is too intense. Your connection with God is like too intense. You talk to him for us, man. Just put something over your head. It's too much. And that's what they were doing. And so that's the backstory here that, that uh, Paul's writing into. He says, but we're not like Moses who had to do that who had to actually cover up because God's on me. Cover up because I have to hide. God's glory's on me. And the reason why he had to do that was because the people were responding to God in the Exodus account still from a basis of shame. Because when light comes, it reveals darkness, does it not? And so it was just exposing their shame. And they're like, we can't handle that, God. But their minds were made dull, for to this day that same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Jesus Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, or the, 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 the Pentateuch, the Torah, is read, a veil comes over the heart, covers the heart. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, 
i.e. Jesus, the veil is taken away. So there's connectivity between the person and God. Now where, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, get this, verse 18, we who with unveiled faces, unveiled faces, in other words, our, we're on display, and we're not hiding it, because we're not ashamed, because we're not living from that basis of that anymore. Because God has shown he's loved us in Jesus Christ and broken through that wall of, will they really accept me? So we, with unveiled faces, how do you walk? Do you walk with your head down? Or do you walk with your chin up? Just take a note of that when you walk into a room, when you go to work, just take a note of your body language because often your body language will tell you something about what's actually going on in here. Because Paul says the inheritance of those who've met Jesus is to be able to walk about with our chin up because we've been loved. We've been loved by God. Not by a law, not by an effort, but because he said, I love you in Jesus and he's made a way for us to know his greatness. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with an ever-increasing glory. So there is a trajectory here. There is a pathway of experience. There is an outworking of this being connected with God. Having the glory of the Holy Spirit resting upon our life. There is an outworking of this. And it's meant to be one of increased reality. Hey, you going, buddy? I love your enthusiasm. But he then goes on in, verse, in chapter 4 and he says this, Therefore, because of all of this, because of God's mercy, we have this ministry and we don't lose heart. Rather, here's the kicker. We have renounced secret and shameful ways. You want to come into the greater realities of the Spirit? You want to step into that ever-increasing, transforming reality of God's love on your life? Well, firstly, it's because God is merciful. Firstly, it's because He's merciful. But secondly, on our end, Paul says, we got some work to do. We need to renounce our secret and shameful ways. There is an impact in all of this. And we do live with these, what I would call, inhibitors. Just like experience, was experienced back in the garden when Adam and Eve decided to be their own king. <laughs> you could put it that way. But when they ate of the very thing that God said, don't eat of that, will you? There was an implication. And that implication brought shame. And that shame brought them into an experience of hiding. And it says they hid from God. What are we hiding from God today? 
how we truly are. These, these are weighty things if you have to carry them around for too long. You actually become bitter and bent over and angry about the fact that you're having to carry all this stuff that you're hiding. What about our sinful activities or towards ourself and towards others? What about our, our thought life? Are we trying to hide some of the darker recesses of the things that we're pondering each day? What about those sins that have been committed against us from another? Has that led us into a place of hiding because it's too difficult to deal with? Our addictions and vices? Are we, what are we hiding? Our choices, our, our aversions to... Yes, God, okay, I will. And what, are, what even about our victories where we have seen the kindness and the goodness of God break through in our life? How many of those are we hiding because we think no one will want to hear the story? There are these inhibitors. And the man and the wife heard the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God was coming toward them. And they hid from the Lord among the trees. Our tendency is to hide because the love of God does want to expose the shame that operates in our life. And we hide because of the power of shame. And we hide because we don't really understand that God has said it once and for all in the death and resurrection of his son Jesus. I love you. I love you, both now and into eternity. I love you. You couldn't do anything more to impress me. God has said, I love you this much. There are some implications of hiding. If you, if you read that account in the Genesis account, hiding, there's a few things that takes place. Firstly, Adam and Eve are separated from God. There's a distance now between them and God. There's, a, there's a, a relational break in the sense of friendship, of being able to walk with God, of being able to walk with each other. I kind of have a picture as I read that text that he was hiding over there and she was hiding over there. Because if he was hiding with her in the same place, he would never, he would never have said, she told me to eat it, because she would have just turned around and booped him one. So she would have been hiding over there, and he was hiding way over there. <laughs> Either way, they were hiding. But that word, when it says in the Hebrew, says they hid. It means they withdrew, or they just drew back. Have you been in a relational situation, or a work circumstance, or maybe even God's asked of you something? And, and you've chosen to just not say no verbally, but you've just kind of chosen to just 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 enough to send the message that says, I'm not going there. I've withdrawn. That that's what it means to hide. It doesn't mean you've got to go and like Adam and Eve, find a whole bunch of trees and try and sort of, you know, hide yourself. It just simply means they just withdrew. They just stepped back from relationship and it broke their relationship with God. It broke their friendship with God and each other 
and it broke their trust with God and each other. They were separated, secondly there, from each other. This is what shame does. It separates us from each other, from other people. It breaks the power of intimacy and trust and acceptance and it breaks communication and it establishes distance and it establishes blame and it establishes antagonism and hatred. This is, this is the dynamic that God is wanting to overcome for us and has by welcoming us into a relationship with Jesus. And thirdly, hiding is also a sign that at the Genesis account, they actually got separated from the created order and they went from stewarding this gift from God over which they were to have dominion and authority to stewarding that in such a way that it reflected the glory and the goodness of God who made it all to now it became the created order became this place of consumption and selfish gain and what's in it for me. And there's a whole series of stewardship of creation issues that are there that perhaps we need to ponder in our day and time. But these are the impacts of shame or, or hiding. Now, I want to say, oh, this is my question. Who do we think we're fooling anyway? Who, do we, who are we trying to kid? Who do we think that hiding you know, will work? <laughs> and make us feel better or set us free. I mean, who are we trying to kid? We're, you know, there's, there's a folly to this. One of the psalmists wrote this in Psalm 44. He says, verse 20, he says, If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would, would not God have discovered it since he knows the secrets of our heart? <laughs> So who are we trying to kid? Our God knows the secrets of our heart. And he still chooses to move toward us in love. What a God. It's not rejection. It's judgment, yes. But he's satisfied that in his son's death and resurrection. Justice has been served. And now there is freedom for all. All who are unworthy, all who are desperate, all who are hungry. So who are we trying to kid? God knows and he still loves. What an amazing God. We're not, we're not worshipping a God like, like any other religious paradigm or, 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 or system or spirituality. Our, there is something so wonderfully compassionate and generous and kind and forgiving about who our God is. So why are we kidding ourselves? God still moves closer. In Genesis 3.9... <clears throat> God chose to move closer to these guys. Where are you is the heart of God. Where are you knowing that we're caught in shame and isolation and withdrawing? Where are you is the heart of God, which is the searching heart of God. 
What about Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4? Beautiful story. She puts up all of these religious arguments, right and correctly, saying, you can't be seen with me. I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew. We can't hang out like this together. And Jesus pushes through the religious argument to win the woman into the grace of God. And if you read that story in John 4, it's an absolutely just beautiful account of a life that's healed, where in the end, Jesus, operating under the grace of the Holy Spirit, has a word of knowledge about how many partners and life partners she's had and how many relationships she's had and who she's in a relationship with now. And still he moves towards her. What a God. Still he moves towards you. And towards me, what a God, knowing our shame, knowing our issues, knowing the walls, knowing the constant withdrawal, still his love pursues. What a God. What a God. He moves closer. So does the, the, Jesus to the Samaritan woman. But ultimately, even as Paul said it in 2 Corinthians there, Verse 4, verse 1, he says, It's through God's mercy that all this takes place. It's not our effort. It's his mercy. And the Lord made garments of skin for Adam and Eve, and he clothed them. He covered over that which for them was most shameful, most broken, Everything that would, would say, I can't be near you, God. God says, that's okay. I'm going to make a way and I'm covering it over. And Paul, beautifully in the book of Romans, uses that same kind of picture in, in, when he uses in Romans 4, 7. He says, blessed are they whose transgressions, it's a big word for sinful junk and stuff, are forgiven and whose sins are covered covered. This is why our Jesus' blood is so, so, so precious in that we are so, so thankful of people. The kindness of God. God's love covers over and then he calls us forward. Now, for some of us that are sitting here today, we're probably going, you know what, I've got a few things going on in here that I ain't, I'm not happy with. I'm sick of living with, I don't know what to do with, and at the same time, I'm kind of caught in it, and I'm trying to find a way out, but I just don't know where the door is. Well, I'm, Paul gives us the door in 2 Corinthians 4. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, uh, verse 2, he says, We have renounced secret and shameful ways. So God has demonstrated, I'm for you. Doesn't matter what you try and do, I'm with you. The response to that, Paul says, here's the door, it's opening up, here's how to walk through the door and into the fullness of God's kindness. He says, renounce secret and shameful ways. I'll let you fill in for you what the secret and the shameful things are. We all know what they are for ourselves. And remember, don't try and fool yourself anyway, because he knows the secrets of our heart. 
There's a kindness of God that just weighs on us when we consider this. But he says he renounces it. Paul calls people into the power of living, into freedom, and for the greater glory in the earth by renouncing. Now, that word renounce is a good one. I can't say it properly in the Greek, so I won't try to. But it's a verb. It's a doing. It's an action. It's, a, um, it's not a theory. It's, a, it's an application. So Paul says, renounce. And these are the sort of the three kind of gutsy bits of that word. Renounce means to forbid. Like if, if someone was... Um, well, actually, I was explaining to someone last night I was hanging out with, and they said we were sharing stories about someone, and I said, yeah, that's someone... They came and they just verbally berated me and gave me a mouthful one time and I just said to them, stop, you're not allowed to speak to me like that. That's what forbid means. That's what it looks like. You, know, you stop it. Or when someone we're praying for is being delivered from a demonic power and the demon wants to try and bring disgrace to the person and we just say, hey, you, stop it and be quiet. We forbid you to behave like that. That's what Jesus did and we do as a practice when we're setting people free from demonic power. But that's what it means to forbid. So to renounce means to forbid. So what Paul is saying there, he's saying, hey, you just need to tell that shame, stop it and be quiet. Stop it and be quiet. Stop fueling it. Stop giving it airtime. Stop giving it authority and permission. Just forbid it. It may not ever go away, but that's okay. We're not, we're not trusting in the fact that it'll go away. We're trusting in the fact that God loves us no matter what. Hello? That's a really big point. That's a take-home. That is a very big point. We're not trusting in that the enemy will be quiet and stop and go away. We're trusting in that God will love us all the same, even more, no matter what. That's where we're leaning. That's where we're moving into. And as we're doing that actively, we're saying to this other stuff, I forbid you to have authority and sway in my life. The other part of this means to give up. It, it, not like as in surrender. It literally means to like, if, you know, if I had a cold drink of water here and, and Corey asked for it, I would give it up to him. I hope you give it back. <laughs> but it, it means I give it over. I mean, I give it to. And, and so what Paul is saying, he's saying, take all that shame, all that sinful, secret stuff that's held your life and give it to Jesus. Give it, no, literally, like, take it from your hands and put it in his. It's his to care for now. That's what it means to renounce in actions. I love this. This is not just a, uh, an idea. This is a, this is a, a, a choice of the will. This is an action that we live out in real time, in real space. And he, the other part of that word I think is fantastic. It means to declare. So to renounce means to make a verbalized statement. 
shame and secret ways, you are not my God. I confess my hope and heart into the love and kindness of God in Jesus Christ. I'm confessing a good confession and so receiving the salvation of my God in that confession as well. So if you're looking for the door out and you're feeling the drawing of the love of God, the invitation of the Holy Spirit that wants to bring you on this pathway of increased reality of love and life and the glory of God on you, the door is right before you today. And Paul's saying, just renounce it. Renounce it. Forbid it to have law and sway in your life anymore. Give it over to Jesus and declare to it, hey, you're not my king, he is. And I tell you, I do this every single day of my life. It's a lifestyle, folks. Not a religious action. Because God wants for us to be a people who live with integrity and joy. I mean, come on. The church of Jesus more than ever in, the, in this hour in our nation and in, and in the chaos of our world more than ever should be the people with the light of Jesus shining upon our faces with our chins held up, saying, here's what it means, world, to be living loved. Here's what it means. And his name is Jesus. Come. We're not going to be shameful about it. We're not going to hide it. We're not going to stop talking about it. We're not going to stop doing it because God has brought integrity to our life. He knew where we were. He's restored us to his kindness and out of the power of shame, for his greater glory in the earth as it was always meant to be and that we would have fulfillment and life and joy unspeakable as Lloyd-Jones would say it. Gosh, can you, get that, can you get a taste of that vision? Can you get a taste of that reality? I know you're hot and bothered and sweaty, but suck it up. God's here. He's offering you eternal life right here, right now, to come out from every secret and shameful thing that has held you and bound you and tried to conform you and tell you how to display your life. God's offering freedom. He's saying, turn to Jesus. Let the Spirit come upon you. And I'm here today as an ambassador of Jesus, not as a man in his own right, even as Paul wrote that scriptures, he was defending himself to those that were saying, oh, you're not the real deal, mate. And he's saying, I'm not peddling this for profit. I'm not twisting this. I'm not trying to bend this to make it palatable. He says, I'm just declaring it as it is and entrusting myself to the consciousness of men before God to figure it out. And so with that same spirit and generosity of God's heart, I stand before you and say, good news. The gospel of the kingdom of God is here. The gospel of our God is here. He wants integrity for us so that what we live on the inside reflects on the outside. And who we are out there is who we are in here. And that we no longer have to keep things behind closed doors because there is no more closed doors because heaven is open and the kingdom is now. Let me finish with this uh, just beautiful scripture from Isaiah 61. And in Isaiah 61, as, as, 
as, as the prophet um, Isaiah was articulating the heart of God to a people whose nation had been broken and smashed and they found themselves in isolation and the shame of the world. They'd been defeated and broken. And once this glorious nation is now just this remnant, this rubble, this pile of has been. And it's into that that the heart of God still can't help himself through Isaiah, he prophesies and he says, instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion. And instead of their disgrace, they will rejoice in the inherit their inheritance. And so they will receive a double portion in the land and everlasting joy will be theirs. Come to Jesus today. Hear the call of the Holy Spirit to walk you through that door. And this morning, God says, through the wisdom of Paul and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, renounce your secret and shameful ways, whatever they may be. Be it pornography, be it alcohol, be it the need to look successful, be it the need to have control, whatever that vice, that addiction, that, that thing that holds you, that drives you, that's not Jesus Today, step out of that and into freedom. If you would like to walk into that ever-increasing measure of the Spirit of God's kindness on your life and have joy everlasting, and you want this very minute to walk out and renounce, I'm leaving that and I'm going into Christ and all his fullness. I'm not saying today you have to come out here and confess it out loud like, yeah, man, I'm addicted to porn, whatever. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that by your actions of standing and coming, you are renouncing. By your actions and in your verbalization of faith in God's goodness in Christ, you're saying, be quiet. He's my king. And you're declaring, I am the planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor and his greater glory in the earth. If you want to take that journey, why don't you just come right now, front's open. There's the call. Come, we're going to minister into this today.